You're listening to the Islamic Sustainable Finance and Investment Podcast, the show discussing the latest and most exciting developments of Sharia-compliant sustainable finance. ESG ratings play a critical role in sustainable finance and investment. My name is Marlena Karim, the editor of Islamic Sustainable Finance and Investment. We are joined by Bhakti Isa, the vice president of Ideal Ratings, to learn about the role of sustainability ratings in the Islamic Sustainable Finance space. Hi, Bhakti. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Hi, Marlena. Good to be with you today. And uh, hi, everyone listening to the podcast. So we hear a lot about sustainability, but how do we define sustainability and what are the parameters? So sustainability is a very broad topic. It includes lots of, I would say, underlying um, inclusion activities and consideration. ESG is one of them, of course, and this is the most talked about at the moment, uh, this time being. And under the ESG, what happens in real life from research and screening perspective, at least from our side of the business, is you have to look at different KPIs within the companies. So, for example, when you try to analyze what are the final verdict of one of the globally listed companies or local manufacturing house. We look at different KPIs within the practice and implementation of this company. For example, under the e-side, we have to define certain KPIs like air emission, like how this company is treating the water resources, how they are handling the waste, what are the activities in the habitat protection, and so on. And then you look at another aspect, which is the social perspective. This is where you look at the management and handling of the human capital within the company, consumer rights, how they treat animal, if they have any sort of involvement, what are the criteria in the supply chain, and so on. And then you look at the governance side, which typically are the area or the pillar that should be mostly regulated because of the laws and implementation in place within each country separately. And these are KPIs like the anti-corruption, anti-competitive, ethic, reporting and transparency, and so on. So these are the main pillars. And under those E, S, and G, you have those different KPIs. The KPIs and Pillars are the same with uh, with all vendors, but the KPIs differ from vendor to another. The weighting system and the materiality differ from vendor to another. And then you should have under each of those KPIs a final indicator list where you go and air emission, for example, you have a list of indicators where you try to answer and provide a final verdict. Once you do this KPI materiality assessment for each of the company, then you go one level down, which you look at the qualitative and metric aspect. Qualitative are mainly binary questions. You want to look if the company is disclosing particular data or not, if they have any implementation or committees under this area of sustainability or not. And then you have the metric, which is the challenging part, especially in emerging markets. And this is where actually all global investors are keen to understand and encourage and uh, adhere, companies need to adhere to the the global requirements of investment. This is where companies will need to disclose areas which in emerging markets, again, might be a bit heavy lifting and controversial. For example, they need to report compensation of the executives or gender pay gap or inclusion data or emissions, scope one, two, and three. And then vendors will need to normalize the data coming from whatever, 40, 50,000 listed companies uh, globally in order to make sense of the data. There are different reporting standards, different units, different timing of disclosure and fiscal period. So for the final investors, they have something that can easily benchmark. I see. So that sounds like a tall task. You mentioned differences in measuring sustainability. So how does the methodology vary from one vendor to another? 
I would say it actually varies big time. And the reason behind this is there are different methodology and weighting approaches and materiality assessment for all the vendors. So you will find that there are stakeholders in the industry that focus on a particular developed market, large cap companies. And I'm talking specifically about listed companies now because private companies are a different beast. So I will I will phrase everything around the listed companies because it's also coming from regulatory reporting perspective. So if you have a vendor that focus on developed large cap that eventually will uh, structure a materiality assessment, by materiality, we are referring to how are we dealing differently between companies in the food processing industry and companies in the financial industry, for example. So if I have company manufacturing cold cuts, I need to look at how they are dealing with the waste of the manufacturing process, how they are dealing with the environmental management, how they are dealing with the animal welfare, the supply chain, and so on. And all those KPIs will have like a high weighting in my assessment of the company. Versus if I go to a financial company and a bank or a financial industry company, I will look more to a different set of KPIs with a high relevancy, such as consumer protection, business ethics, anti-competitive, and so on. So this is the definition of materiality. I need to look at companies differently. I cannot just say that waste management is very important. And then I look at the financial side, exactly the same as a mining company or a food processing company and so on. So once each vendor define their own materiality based on the strategy, on the philosophy, they need to go one level deeper in terms of the actual indicator and metric they need to assess. And again, there are different practices in the industry. For example, vendors might be looking at it from a subjective element. So they have a KPI, they give scores to the KPI. So I give three out of five for Apple consumer protection KPI. And maybe Marlena, you are doing the same research for the same company using the same KPI and you're giving Apple four out of five. So there is always a subjective element, but for some stakeholders and investors, they want to have these kind of subjective or metric assessment of the company. Some others, and that's the approach we do at Idea Rating, is we look at the binary approach. We have a very large universe, uh, cover 40,000 companies, and we wanted to eliminate the subjective element. So we decided to go for the binary approach. So we defined our indicators into set of questions we want to share with our clients and investors if this particular company has a policy or not. So it's kind of yes, no, inconclusive answers. So it's easier for benchmarking across the 40,000 companies. So it does differ from a vendor to another in terms of the philosophy, in terms of the strategy, and of course, in terms of the final results on the rating or the assessment of the company itself. I would say Large cap developed market will be very, very close between vendors. Disclosure there, transparency might be acceptable. Sustainability report and proxy reports will have lots of data for vendors like ourselves to assess the companies. But once you get to emerging markets, it gets very challenging. Once you get to small and mid cap in frontier markets, it's quite very, very, very challenging. So you have to be innovative. You have to come up with models, with estimation. And of course, you have to be transparent to your end users about how you drive this particular uh, assessment. So transparency in the methodology is extremely important, especially for emerging markets, where arguably sustainability is a larger issue. Yes, absolutely. And and it's tricky, Marlena, to, to be uh, 100% transparent. It's tricky because you have lots of emerging market companies within the global fund space. And those global investors or asset managers, 
they want to have exposure to uh, Malaysian company, to Indonesian company, to Vietnamese, to Egyptian, to Saudis, to Argentina, and so on. And the data is simply not there. So um, they have two options. Either they depend on, on a solid methodology that can give them some guidance and estimated values and verdict, or they simply can go and say, I will just exclude all those markets from, from our investment landscape, which is not good for them. And it's not good for the whole capital market investment in general. So transparency is an issue in the industry. Some players in the market are overprotective on how they drive. I think it has been increasing, to be honest. I have to be transparent over the past two or three years because of certain regulatory requirement and also the push from the investors that they need to understand how did you do this model, what's the estimation methodology, from where did you get this data, and so on. So things are changing rapidly, and I think it also will keep on changing in the coming three to five years. You sort of talked about how it's becoming a little more conservative, how we define sustainability. Do you think that's in part driven by fears of greenwashing? Well, greenwashing is something that will unfortunately exist for quite some time. It will fade away, of course, with increasing transparency and disclosure. It will fade away from the Titans compliance and regulatory requirements. But we cannot say that you can eliminate greenwashing every day. I mean, from our perspective, handling so many companies in different sectors and countries and sizes, we found lots of discrepancy and things that doesn't make sense from company report perspective. And we reach out to companies sometimes to respond, sometimes they don't respond. And it's interesting to see how companies are dealing with these kinds of questions and allegations over time that they come and respond with either supportive documents or explanation or even a simple, yes, we are wrong, we will correct the date. And I can tell you that it's quite different three years ago from today in terms of how companies are dealing with this. They are under lots of pressure. But whether can eliminate greenwashing, I would love to see it, but I don't foresee that this is something that's going to happen in the coming five years. You'll always find entities trying to involve in these kind of approaches and make their position look better, the data look better, assessment look better. They want to be part of the cake, so they will do everything it takes to shine and be special. Transparency is key. Disclosure is key. Regulatory requirement with what's happening, for example, in Europe, which I'm sure other regions will also follow. If, for example, you're familiar with the SFDR requirement that has been recently released, of course, the taxonomy that's coming to be implemented uh, next year. So I think these kind of regulation and disclosure requirement will enforce certain standards and certain compliance requirements from asset manager perspective, from company perspective, and of course, to the regulator itself. To circle back a little, you highlighted the use of ratings for investors. How reliable are sustainability ratings and why should it matter to investors? That's a tricky one, actually, for me as a vendor that's working in that space. So I have to be a bit biased. But final rating is important, but I would say the landscape is changing. So if you circle back five, ten years, you will find that everyone was looking at the final EG rating of the company, which is still exists in the market, of course, and certain investors and financial market practitioners, they still look at the final rate. But what has been changing in the landscape is we see every day the increasing demand and appetite for more underlying data. So they say, yes, rating is important, but 
that's not the ultimate goal for me. I want to have access to the data. I want to see the underlying. I want to understand how you finally reach the final rating. I might be also in a position that I want to create my own model because your methodology and your materiality is not 100% aligned with our philosophy. And this is something that has been increasing dramatically over the past three years, especially after the pandemic started. And we've seen lots of global players coming in. Guys, I need more granular data. Or for this particular KPI, I want to dig deeper and go down vertically. Can you provide me with this two, three, four extra level of details around this particular KPI? So everyone is going deep now. Rating might not be the ultimate requirements from investment landscape. And that's why you will find that ESG final rating has become more and more accessible to everyone and even publicly free or on certain platforms. So it's not as protective as it was before that this is precious. Uh, this is our revenue generating data that we are selling to everyone. Almost all vendors, they have providing free rating to the public and to the research agency and so on. Because, as I mentioned, the landscape is changing and this is not the only constraint in the market. There is a push for sustainability in the Muslim world, but these regions are very dependent on oil and gas. So what is the tolerance level for oil and gas in sustainability ratings and how does ESG ratings contribute to transition finance? I think in this area, I will see my own personal opinion. So it's not ideating opinion. But when I hear people talk about fossil fuel elimination, that's, again, my personal opinion. I don't see this one coming any time in the near future, to be honest. And it might be unfortunate, but fossil fuel is also a very broad term. So there are areas under fossil fuel which definitely must be eliminated or at least phased out like coal. But there are other areas which might be a short-term substitution for that. So if you look at fossil fuel and you look at one of the main causes of greenhouse gas emission globally, which is the energy sector. And I think, I'm not sure about the number, but I think energy sector contribute to 50 or 60% of the GHG globally, which is massive. And now if you look at the energy sector, you will find that coal contribute to 40 to 50% of the emission. So eliminating coal, for example, might be a good first step. And I'm saying first step because if you look at real life example, and by real life example, I say that in sustainability, sometimes we are being very, I don't want to say dreamer, but I would say maybe very optimistic about our future implementation and approaches. And this happened with Germany recently. So one of the cheerleaders globally for renewable energy and substitution of um, uh, fossil fuel, coal, and all of this. And once Russia and Ukraine happened, they got stuck. I mean, they, they have been quite agile in terms of actions and, and decisions because they have a consideration, consideration for the community and the society that otherwise they are heading into energy crisis in wintertime. So they had to act and they had to bring coal back to the business. So that's why I was saying that sometimes we are a bit, a bit more optimistic about elimination of certain climate-related substitution. And everyone was saying fossil fuel, fossil fuel. And now Europe, which is the main driver behind oil and gas and coal and fossil fuel elimination, they are stuck because they had a crisis and they, they had to shift back and roll back certain, I don't know, few years of action to, uh, to support their local people and provide energy and safety net to their people. So transition is coming. Coal transition or coal replacement is something I would say is achievable. Renewable energy is expensive. 
it's not as accessible to everyone. Um, cost is going down, of course, and it will go down once you have a more scalable business uh, activities, uh, once you have more projects, once you get mega scale countries like China and uh, Japan and South Korea and India. And I'm talking about Russian, uh, Asian countries specifically because these countries are a big contributor to the emission globally and one of the, me the main reasons behind the impact of climate change. And it's interesting if you look at future energy projects in countries like ASEAN countries, look at the breakdown. They are still building coal energy manufacturing facility and plants over the coming years. So it's not going down. It's actually still in the mix. It might be even growing for certain countries. And again, that's because of different consideration. It could be because of raw material availability. It could be because of cost assets. It could, it, could, uh, it could be because of safety and uh, risk perspective. So they want to diversify, they want to avoid Germany-like situation and so on. So transition is happening. Unfortunately, fossil fuel elimination, again, my personal opinion, I don't think it's something that will happen anytime soon. But coal replacement is something easily achieved, achievable in the coming seven, eight years. So you mentioned over-optimism. How do we take a more realistic approach to sustainability, and should that be data-driven? It will always be data-driven. I mean, without data, you cannot build any models, as simple as that. So I, I cannot eliminate the impact of data. And I think that's actually one of the main reasons find countries going back to nuclear power generation, going back to coal power generation, because they were not really realistic in terms of what will happen if a crisis occurs. And they were building the model on the ultimate peaceful, stable world that has been going on for quite some time. So once you rock the ship, they got stuck. Again, I'm talking about Germany specifically. They have been very agile for the people to take action and decisions and maybe roll back one of their very basic philosophy and uh, ideology. But the whole idea of data will always be a major part of the mix. Whether you want to do it or not and how it can be done, it's a question, and to be 100% realistic, it's a question of the cost at the beginning and cost at the end. So you will find now countries with maybe more solid cash positions and surplus like Saudi Arabia going very actively in the sustainable space. And it might sound shocking for a lot of people in terms of the mega projects they are announcing, whether it will happen or not. I wish it will, but whether it will happen or not in real life and how long it takes, that's a question. But they are doing so because they have the pockets, they have extra cash. So even if sustainable or renewable energy or these kind of climate-related project will cost an extra or 200 or 300%, they can finance it and they can fund it. This is not the same case for lots of other countries. And with what's happening and the gloomy forecast for next year, for example, I think everyone will be very cautious about their spending and where they put the money. And they might compromise previous projects with more, I just want to put it in a, in a, in a very realistic word, with more uh, environmentally not 100% environmental related approaches like what they used to announce two or three years back. So we cannot say that the plan for transition is solid because you always have incidents globally, climate, political, economic that can rock your plan and rock your ship. And the question is how resilient you are and how agile you are. And I see from actually from terminology perspective, business owners sometimes say, and even politician, resilience and agile 
they say agility, they say it in the same word and the same meeting. However, um, they are quite different. And that's why I was referring to Germany as being agile. They are active, they took decision, they were fast, but were they resilient? Were they ready to absorb changes, shocks? Were they ready with data-driven plans? This is the question. Thank you, Magdi, for sharing your insights. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, it was uh, quite interesting to be with you guys today. Thank you for listening. For more discussions on Islamic sustainable finance and investments, log on to www.islamicsustainable.com. You can also listen to the episodes on your favourite platforms, including iTunes and Spotify.